0: Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 with Laura and Alan, and we're going to go verse by verse through this chapter. We just finished a unit, chapters 9, 10, and 11, which in these three chapters is dealing with... God's plan for Israel according to the flesh, and it's also dealing with the Israel according to the promise of how the gospel has come to the nations, to the Gentiles, and there's a promise that God is going to gather Israel back together to Him. The natural branches that were cut off are going to be grafted back into its own tree, so there is a promise for the Israel according to the flesh, and God has a plan for the nation of Israel, God had a plan for the Gentiles that through Israel, the word of God would come to us. And now as we look at the end of chapter 11, this great understanding of the mercy of God coming back to the Israel according to the flesh, the Israel that Paul would be willing At the beginning of chapter 9, to give up his own salvation, if possible, that they could come to know their own Messiah, there is a promise that when the time of the Gentiles comes in, all of Israel will be saved. Now we're coming into chapter 12, and we're looking at the focus in this chapter of our relationship with God and what is truly worship unto God and how we interact with each other within the body of Christ. So let's start in verse 1, and we're going to go verse by verse. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is one of my favorite statements by Paul because it really defines for us what is worship. Most of us think that worship is a time that we come together and we assemble together and we began to lift our voices and we began to praise God together in song. I would call that corporate praise and worship, where we're coming together, lifting our hearts and voices together to praise God. Here we are seeing that worship should be defined as everything that we do. It is understood as we are presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, For me to understand what worship is, it's the totality of who I am on the altar of God, just like Abraham brought Isaac and put Isaac on the altar in order to sacrifice him as an act of worship unto God. In Isaac was everything precious to Abraham. It was his life, his future, his only son. Now, we know that God was not intending him to follow through with this, but Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son. This is the imagery. This is what I visualize when I think about what is worship. It is presenting ourselves on the altar of God to be a living and holy sacrifice unto God. It is everything that defines us. It's everything that we do, and this is our spiritual service of worship unto God. So when we are at the workplace, we are to worship God. When we are at school, we are to worship God. When we are gathered together with other people, say in social elements and social circles, we are there to worship God. Let everything be done to God's glory, and let there be a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ that is left behind because our lives are to be on the altar of God, and everything that we do should be worship unto God.
1: I also am challenged by this terminology, holy and acceptable to God, that not only is every area of our life worship, but it should be a holy act in that we have morals, we follow God's word, and we're not compartmentalizing our life and say, I go to church and I raise my hands and worship, but then I'm living any way I want throughout the week.
0: And I agree that in every setting, not to compartmentalize that this is secular and this is holy. Everything is holy unto the Lord. Everything should be done for God's glory. If I'm at work and I'm not being diligent and not honoring the people that I'm supposed to be working for? And I'm lagging behind in my responsibilities. Am I truly worshiping God? And so we don't see that as secular. And then when we gather together on Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whenever a person gathers with other believers and say that this is holy, our whole life is to be worship unto God. So in every element of everything that we're doing, if we're playing tennis, we should leave a good testimony behind. If we're participating in any type of sport, it has to be done in a way that honors God. If we're at the workplace, if we're in school, and we're not doing our work, and we're not putting forth a good effort, are we truly worshiping God? This is seeking to have holy excellence in everything that we do, because our lives is to be worshiped unto God. Let's go on to verse 2, because verse 2, Alan, if you could read this verse, really brings it to a point of how we fulfill this. How are we going to be a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is our spiritual service of worship. How are we going to do this? This is a hard task that is in front of us, but this is the desire of our hearts. In verse 2, and Alan, if you'll comment on this as well, this is the battlefield that is going on within our own minds.
2: Yeah, let me read uh, verse 2 first, and I'll, I'll comment. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, yeah, I like in verse one where he talks about, you know, presenting your bodies in this living sacrifice, but we know it starts in the mind, it starts in your thoughts. And then, how do we renew our mind? How do we do that? That's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the circumcised heart, you know, that we have through Jesus. So, I think. And I guess I'd ask you to comment on this, Scott, about, you know, so when you see this presenting yourself as acceptable service, act of worship, how do you separate that from sort of the works for rewards? So someone would say, well, I'm living right. I'm doing this. I'm doing XYZ. I'm striving to achieve this. But I would see it as where verse 2 talks about you can only do it by God
0: transforming and renewing your mind, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and let, let's try to tie this together. It's with the heart man believes. So faith comes from within side of us, and it must be a true faith that defines who we are. And the righteous shall live by faith. So, how do we present ourselves unto God as a living and holy sacrifice? First of all, there has to be faith that arises within us that we believe in Him and we believe in His salvation. This is Romans chapter 10 that talks about it's with the heart man believes. And there has to be a transformation from within side of us, a life in the Spirit. And we see that in Romans chapter 8. So, presenting ourselves unto God is coming from within inside of us, a true faith from the heart that says, God, I want to glorify you, and I want my life to belong to you. How do we battle this spiritual battle that's going on on a daily basis? How do we stay in the right place of constantly saying, God, I want my life to honor you? And it is a spiritual battle. I think verse 2 brings it in of really the spiritual battle that we're facing as we're looking at worshiping God in everything that we do. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that the mind has to be focused on the Messiah. The mind has to receive the things that honor God so that we can follow through with this understanding of being a living and holy sacrifice. If we are filling our minds with things of the world, how can we go through the day being a living and holy sacrifice. How can we worship God if the things of the world are penetrating into our minds on a daily basis? How can we do this? We must have just the opposite. We must renew our minds daily. How do we renew our minds? It's through God's Word. It's through a life of prayer and fasting. It's through staying with the right people that honor God, because remember, bad company corrupts good morals. Paul says that to the Corinthians, staying where we need to be, listening to the things that we need to listen to, watching the things that honor God, being in relationships that bring us closer to God. All of this is a battle, a spiritual battle that is going on for our minds. And Paul is saying, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed out of this world by the renewing of your mind.
1: I often think of this, the will of God, about where God wants me to go or what God wants me to do, but it's also about the will of God is about what's acceptable to God, what's good in God's kingdom, and getting our mind to understand, because when you're not a believer— you don't have the same standards. And then when you come into Christ, I've talked about this before in the podcast that I had to dig into God's word. I started in the book of James trying to find out what is actually pleasing to God. I had to retrain my mind to even know what is right in some things.
0: And I agree. And when you look at the rest of this verse, we're gonna go into that because the renewing of the mind, if we're not renewing our mind, how can we know what the will of God is for our lives? Yeah, and I think especially, you know, in this this
2: day and age, and you think back when Paul wrote this to the Romans, you know, there wasn't social media, billboards, you couldn't binge Netflix series that you shouldn't watch. You know, now we're just, you know, you don't even have to look for it. And if you drive around, you can see things that aren't pleasing to God, and you can just It's just kind of around you. You can't avoid it. So I think progress further and further in society that this renewing of our mind is so much more important, whether it's in the morning in devotions and at the end of the day before we go to bed, just all the stuff that that Satan is trying to bring at us um, in this, this day and age is technology and everything's at your fingertips. It's really easy to be captivated by things of the world, just almost by osmosis where it just absorbs onto you because you're in it all day. Um, We really have to renew our minds to focus on what God wants, what He wants us to do to be that holy and acceptable sacrifice and worship to Him.
0: Yes, and I think this is in the context of an ongoing daily process of renewing your mind. It is something that we keep our focus on the Lord, of putting on the mind of the Messiah. Think about this context in the early believers here in the city of Rome how were they discipled how would they renew their minds they don't have bibles like we have but the it was the assembling together where they would come and live in community. And when I say live in community, I'm not saying they're living in a commune. But they were brothers and sisters in the Lord interacting with each other, praying together, gathering together, listening as others would share the Word of God, either taking a scroll of the Bible and being able to read and to teach God's Word. When you look at that, this is a community of faith that they needed each other in order for the renewing of the mind. We're living in a totally different context today. Everything from the world is at our fingertips at any moment. And sometimes we don't need community. In fact, I know people say, I don't even like to go and gather and to assemble together. I can just watch it on television, or I can listen to it on a podcast, or this or that. Those things can be good gifts. But I encourage us to live in community, to not forsake the assembling together. Part of the renewing of your mind is living in a community of faith where you're challenging each other, that you're praying together, you're fasting together, you're studying God's word together, you're accountable to each other, and this renewing of the mind has to be done on a daily basis. And the rest of this verse says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. The whole focus of a believer is to fulfill God's will within our lives. And what Laura was saying, she had to have this renewing of her mind that she could even begin to think about what is the will of God for her life. So she began to read in Jacob or James, and she began to read God's word because she wanted to know what the will of God is. So many times in the Western society, we are, as believers, have been conditioned to think that God is here to fulfill my will and my destiny, That is not what a life in the Messiah is all about. It's about our lives being on the altar of God. That we are living in holy sacrifices unto God. That we're worshiping God in everything that we do. That we're not being conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we want to do the will of God so that we may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and that which is perfect or complete. So the focus of our lives is not my will, is God's will and it's just the opposite sometimes of what has been ingrained in us within this type of church that is developing in Western culture that is all about me, and it's not about me. It's all about Him. So let the will of God be done in my life. How can I know what God's will is? Well, I've got to renew my mind on a daily basis. There's junk everywhere, like Alan is talking about. Everywhere that we go, we see it. You don't even have to turn it on. It's all around you. Some of these things get into our spirit, and it gets into us, and it really, it is taking us away from what the will of God is. And everything as a believer, I want to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that what is perfect. And the renewing of our mind on a daily basis is a spiritual battle that is going on. And the battle is for the will of God. And if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking, well, I want to do this and I want to do that, and this is what I want to see God accomplish for my life, and I have this desire to do this in the future, all of that has to stop. And you have to say, my life is on God's altar. It's not my will. Let God's will be done within my life. And I've got to retrain that whole thinking process. That's not of God. That comes from the world. And if I'm going to worship God, God, here's my life, take it, use it for your glory. And as my mind is being renewed, as I'm living in a community of faith, as we're challenging each other to submit to God's will and we're renewing our minds by God's word is the will of God, that which is good that which is acceptable by God, that which is perfect, that which honors God, will begin to start taking place within our lives. So it's not my will, let His will be done. And the renewing of your mind is bringing you to a point that you understand what the will of God is. Not your will, God's will for your life. And this is part of worship unto God. Any believer that is trying to live a life, that God is fulfilling your purpose and your dreams and your plan for your life, you're not being renewed. Your mind is not being renewed, I should say. The world is defining for you what is important. But as a follower of Christ, you need to deny yourself, take up your own cross, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and let the will of God be done within your life. Now, with that in mind, we're going to be looking at verses three through eight, in which we are looking at a community of faith in the in the spiritual gifts that operate among the members of one body. Now, Paul has already talked about this in First Corinthians chapters twelve through fourteen. So some of that context, I believe applies here as well. And remember that First and Second Corinthians are written a couple of years before this letter that is written to the Romans. So let's look at verses 3 through 8. But through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there is one thing about the renewing of our minds that is very important, is that we walk with humility, that arrogance and pride does not arise. Remember, if we go back to chapter 11... Paul warns the Gentile believers in Rome, do not be wise in your own estimation. Something that always goes before someone falls and does what is wrong before God's eyes is that pride, arrogance goes before the fall. And we see that in so many examples within God's word. So part of this renewing of our minds is to walk with humility. And I want to remind you of the words of Isaiah at the end of his prophecy, To this one, God is looking for one that is humble, one that is contrite in spirit, and one that trembles at his word. This walking in humility as a believer should be a foundational piece for everything that we do. God gives a measure of faith to every member within the body, and we're going to start talking about the spiritual gifts But he's talking about humility before we go into the spiritual gifts, because if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, there are some that think that this gift is greater than that gift, and because this person can do this, that they're greater in importance within the body. And Paul reminds them that every gift is important, that we're one body, many members, but it's one body, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, and we are a family that is walking in the things of God. So, humility, he is stressing that at the beginning. Just like in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he has to insert the great love chapter within chapters 12 and 14 to show them a more excellent way that the spiritual gifts should operate. They should operate through the love of God that is in the midst of the body of Christ. So humility, let me read this again. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Be humble, Do not let any pride build up within your life. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God is going to give the ability to fulfill these spiritual gifts by a measure of faith that God is giving to every single believer. The gifts are distributed according to the will of God. He is giving us a measure of faith. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. None of us have the same function. Even if we're operating in a similar gift, we're unique unto God in that gifting sometimes. We were wonderfully and fearfully created by God. In this measure of faith that he is giving to the body, one body, not all the members have the same function. We're not going to be ministering in the same way. But everything should glorify God and everything should edify the body of the Messiah. Verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Talking about this community of faith that we mentioned earlier. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, who gives us these gifts? God gives us these gifts, so we should not be arrogant in any way. And they are grace gifts. They come by the grace of God. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, this measure of faith that is given by God, by God's grace, we are to prophesy in proportion of his faith. And it does take faith to prophesy. This is not saying that sometimes we prophesy and get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. That is not what is being said. Prophecy is serious business. When a person says, God has told me to speak this, thus saith the Lord— It is serious, and I cannot miss it, because once I say, Thus saith the Lord, I have to hear from God, and I have to have faith to know that this is God speaking to my life, and when I speak it, it must represent God fully. So if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, and he who exhorts in his exhortation— he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we look at these spiritual gifts, and this is not an exhaustive list. Some things that are mentioned here are not mentioned in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. In fact, he lists nine gifts in the first part of chapter 12, and then he goes on to list more gifts in the same chapter. In chapter 12 of Romans, he's listing more spiritual gifts here, but what is the evidence of the spiritual gift operating in a person's life is that they are actually doing it. If I have a gift of teaching, then that gift is understood in my teaching. Am I teaching? Am I glorifying God? Am I building up the body of the Messiah? If I'm a person that has a supernatural gift of mercy, to do it with cheerfulness. Think about that. All of us are to show mercy, but there are some that have a gift from God, a measure of faith that is given to them that they show mercy, and they have a smile on their face. Sometimes you and I show mercy and we don't like to show mercy, but we do it, but there's not that cheerfulness within inside of us. But when we show mercy with cheerfulness, if we are one who gives with liberality, not just one that gives and wants to know as little as I can give to help this personality, but they do it in abundance— This is a spiritual gift that is coming from God for the body of Christ. And I want you to understand these gifts are how they operate within the body of Christ. That is the focus. Not so much of how it is outside of the body of Christ. It will operate in that way as well. But the context here is a community of faith. So he who exhorts in his exhortation and when is serving In how he serves, if service in his serving. So, what I'm trying to say here, our life will show the gifting that God has given to us. You don't have to say that you're a teacher, that God has given me the gift of teaching. Your teaching will be an example or confirm that God is using you within that gift. Today, people are saying that I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle. I'm a shepherd, I'm this or that, you don't have to self-declare that upon yourself. But if you are a pastor, a shepherd, then the way that you shepherd people, people will recognize that this is a gift that is coming from God, a measure of faith that He has given to this individual to shepherd people in the right way. And what is happening, God is being glorified And the body of Christ is being edified. And that gift that is working individually within the members, it is evident by their life, their actions, and what they are doing, that this person has a spiritual gift. So this is not an exhaustive list. And I've said this, and I believe this, that if something in our life is glorifying God and it's building up the body of Christ— This is something that we can can recognize that this is coming from God. This is God's grace upon our lives, and by the power of God's Spirit, we are glorifying Him, and we are edifying the body of Christ, and this can be a spiritual gift that comes from God, and we can recognize that this is a gift from God. Yeah, and just thinking back to the first of this chapter, Scott,
2: when we're talking about presenting your body a a living sacrifice and and worship, you know, it flows into this where it's ministering to the other believers that are in the body of Christ. It flows into proving the will of God is, you know, what is your spiritual gifting? What has God gifted you with this allotment of faith for you to do in, in renewing your mind to find that out? And I don't think I've quite ever seen it that way, but reading through this now, it's just, yeah, that's... That's part of that act of worship, being acceptable to God, finding out what your gifting is, what he wants you to do to edify the body of Christ, to edify other believers. And that just takes the focus off of us. And to me, that's half the battle. You know, how do you stop looking me, 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 like you talked about in this this Western culture? It's not about that. It's about what can you do to edify the body, to glorify God's name and to find out his will for your life. And that's the that's the true worship to the
0: Lord. And that's that's quite incredible. Amen. A living and holy sacrifice really gives you the understanding that we're on the altar of God. It's not about us. And in verse 3, when it talks about walking in humility, not walking in arrogance, if you do not have that, then what you're doing within the body of Christ is really not going to be a spiritual gift. It's going to be an abusive gift and something that is focusing upon yourself. And I have seen it for many years, people that think that they're high and mighty spiritually and God is using them in such incredible ways. And what comes? There comes a fall. That arrogance and that pride and that should have been a spiritual gift is not glorifying God and it's not building up the body of Christ, it's actually dividing people. And so if we walk in humility... 1 Corinthians 13, as we walk in the love of God and we don't think highly of ourselves and we say to God, let our lives be on your altar, and we want our minds to be renewed by God and not to be conformed to this world, then we're in a position that as God by His grace gives a measure of faith and spiritual gifts start operating within our lives, it's not about us. It's about Him, and it's about helping others and building up the body of the Messiah. It's not about fame. It's not about titles. It's not about everyone look at me. It's all about Him and helping others to grow stronger in their relationship with the Lord.
1: There's also other places in Scripture that define these gifts, talk about the abuse of these gifts, but in this context, it's really about the attitude and how we function in these gifts with the right attitude. And it's really also a humbling thing, because you may be used in these gifts in a small context or in a large context, but with the wrong attitude, they're basically going to be misused.
0: Yes, and and I think you see that in 1 Corinthians 12, that the spiritual gifts, they were actually operating not by God's Spirit But they were operating by their own desires, and the spiritual gifts were being used to attack each other and was dividing the body of the Messiah. And that's not the way it should be, and that's why the great love chapter is in chapter 13. Let me show you a more excellent way. And some people misinterpret 1 Corinthians 13, that that is a substitute for the spiritual gifts— no, it's the way, a more excellent way, that the spiritual gifts should operate, just like we're seeing here in chapter 12. Don't be arrogant. If you're arrogant, the spiritual gifts will not glorify God, and it will not build the body of, of Christ. It will all be about you, and that's conforming to this world. The world says it's all about you. But renewing our minds, it's all about Him. It's about laying our lives on the altar of God and worshiping God in everything that we do. So it's all about glorifying God, ministering to others, and we always come last. In fact, we should die to ourselves. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So the focus is never on me. And in the spiritual gifts, if someone is being used by God, if service and is serving, they love to serve. Why? Because they want to glorify God and they want to minister to others. And I think back to Ratcliffe, Kentucky of ladies that would come to the building in which the church is meeting. I like to say it in that way because the building is not the church. The people are the church. And they would come at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they would clean the whole building so that everybody that's coming throughout the week would have a clean place to gather together, to study to corporately sing and praise God and worship God and to have teaching times and everything that was going on. They would come and clean toilets, and they would do the things that nobody else is not really not wanting to do. They would do it, if I ask, but they do it with just such a understanding of serving, and after they were through cleaning the whole building, they would go in and have times of prayer and just praise God. When you see this those ladies are not thinking about themselves. They never even wanted a, a reward for that. And that's how the spiritual gifts, God's grace, He gives if service in their serving. I didn't even have to ask them to do that. They did that on their own. If you're going to show mercy with cheerfulness that people, they love to show mercy. We all are people of mercy, but sometimes we have to build up everything within us to show mercy upon a person, but with cheerfulness. And if you're giving, giving with liberality, not with stinginess, you know, it's better to give than to receive. And as believers, we want to do that. But some people, they give everything they have. You have to stop them sometimes. There was a man in Memphis that was on the leadership of the body of believers my father was pastoring he used to say if i don't stop my wife she will give away everything that we have and she she would she would give away everything she was constantly helping people and he said i have to restrain her sometimes because she will take everything that we have and give it away. And she loved to do that because it was all about God, and it was all about ministering to the body of Christ, and not just the body of Christ, people that do not know him as well. So uh, hopefully everybody that is listening can understand this and see this and let there be conviction in our own hearts that this is what God is asking of us. The spiritual gifts are distributed according to the will of God. I cannot give you a spiritual gift. No one can give it to you themselves. It comes from God. They are grace gifts. They are given by God's grace. The way that this gift is being used, we don't have to articulate it. Others will see it because of what we are doing, and they will recognize that God is doing this. And what does the spiritual gift have to do? glorify God, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, and build up the body of Christ. And that is a gift that is being used by God for God's glory. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you that we can walk in humility, and that is our prayer. God, that we walk humble before you, that we walk in a way that honors you, and that our lives are on your altar daily. And, Lord, we say to you, let your will be done in our our lives. And as we live in a community of faith, God, use us to minister to the body. We're one body, but many members. But let everything that you give to us bring glory to you, and it builds up and edifies the body of Christ. Lord, that is our prayer. And let our lives make a difference for you. Let our our lives have significance today and every day. And let the kingdom of God be expanded because of how you are using us. And may we never want credit for anything, but always point everything back to you. This is our prayer. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.